Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years and in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. And I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And today I have another wonderful guest who's going to talk with me about an issue that I think, well, many issues, but one issue that I think is really important for many couples, but it may look different in neurodiverse couples, and that is conflict and why there's so much conflict. So I want to welcome Dr. Suzanne to the podcast. Dr. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Happy to be here, Mona. Awesome. So I would love if you would share a little bit about the work that you've done, because I know you've had a tremendous impact with a lot of diverse groups, and maybe a little bit about, you know, why um, you want to share what you've learned about high conflict couples and some of the challenges they've, they've experienced or you've seen their experience lead to. Well, it's conflict resolution, particularly in neurodiverse couples, and frankly, most couples are to some degree neurodiverse, Um, but of course there are some who are far more so than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, So conflict resolution, of course, is an incredibly important part of any relationship uh, because inevitably any relationship has conflict in it. Um, I've been in practice for mm, uh, almost 30 years now. Um, it's I'm a clinical psychologist licensed in New York. One of the great honors of my life has been uh, working with the New York City Fire Department since 9-11. And I bring that up because working with firefighters, and in this case, it was all men, uh, because this was in 2002, and things had not really begun to change yet, at least not in New York. Mm -hmm. Those men, for understandable reasons, are quite stoic. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn all kinds of tactics to meet them where they were Mm. Um, because they had gone through severe trauma. We all had, but um, theirs was in many ways more direct because they were looking for their fallen comrades in the rubble. Sure. Uh, So my job was actually to go into their firehouse as opposed to them coming to me and to find ways to engage them. So that alone, and then work with their families as well. Mm. That experience expanded my viewpoint, uh, as well as my breadth of knowledge and understanding and the way I practice. Mm. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine. So yeah, I think this is really important for the listeners to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's made me, I'd say, a a far more flexible therapist Mm. 
which I think is actually really important when working with neurodivergent couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes there's, it feels like there's an inability to be flexible mm-hmm. or to understand what it means to be flexible or flexibility can be scary. So if your therapist is flexible, it makes it safer to maybe think outside lines that haven't felt safe for you before. Mm. That, that resonates with me in really deep ways because I think, uh, Dr. Suzanne, flexibility, we, we ask that of our partners, right? And we don't necessarily think to ask that of a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I think you said two things, starting where the firefighters were going to their firehouse, not expecting right. them to come to you, I think is so critical. And I think therapists who work with neurodiverse couples or coaches who work with neurodiverse couples, hopefully are cognizant of this because, you know, the place in which you do your therapy may not be you know, friendly for an autistic person, you know, may have too much distraction or too many scents or whatever. And we don't think about how those things, not only outside our home, but in our homes mm-hmm. can contribute to overload and therefore conflict. Yes. Oh, so good. So is there anything else you want to share about your um, experience as a therapist or your work? Because I know you've been, you know, in various publications and different shows. Is there anything else that you want to share? Because at the end, we'll give everybody your website address. But um, anything else that you think might be helpful for folks to know? I think uh, if there is more, it will come up as we go. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you for that intro. And I really want to start with something that is a major, 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 did I say major enough, challenge for the couples that I have the opportunity to meet and the couple support groups that I do. And that is where one partner, and it's usually the autistic partner, but it could be both, mm-hmm. is very literal. Yes. And that being literal creates high conflict. And I would love to kind of unpack that one and talk about it in some depth to bring some understanding to the folks that are listening. I cannot convey enough how, what a successful tool it is to be aware of one's own literalness or one's partner's literalness. But I I think, or literality, I don't know what we'd call it. (laughs) I I think first we'd want to describe to make sure people really understand what it means to be literal. I know I'm literal. I figured this out uh, probably in retrospect in relationships that didn't work Mm -hmm. Um, or in friendships. And being literal means, for example, if, if somebody, if, if your partner says, yeah, I'll pick up the dry cleaning later, to me, that would mean later that day. Right. Later, too. <laughs> uh-huh, later has a very specific meaning. Right. Whereas to people who 
aren't literal, but think in a more general way. And there's nothing wrong with being a general thinker. It's just important to know if your partner is general uh, and you're literal or vice versa, or if you're both one way or the other, it's really helpful in, in uh, avoiding conflict and creating less tension and more understanding. Uh, later, to your partner could mean tomorrow. <laughs> it could mean um, the decision is made after the store is already closed. Oops, that's <laughs> what I meant by later, but now I'll have to do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, later, or not even later, all kind. there's so much terminology that we literal people take literally. Right. And others don't necessarily realize that. Right. And that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think, I think this is, this is a conversation that can happen with partners uh -huh. that, that is very critical, but we also have to have flexibility, right? So you talked about flexibility of the therapist. Mm -hmm. We can talk a little bit about flexibility of the partner. So yes. one of the things I hear often from autistic partners is that there may be a lot of subtext in something that my partner says that I don't understand and then that creates a conflict or there's some context that I'm not understanding and that creates a conflict. Mm -hmm. So the more specific, I'm going to switch from specific, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you were asking your partner to pick up the dry cleaning um, and they said they'll do it later, maybe the first question should be, or the first request should be, can you pick up the dry cleaning before six o'clock today? Mm -hmm. Or will you, will you? Um, Cause they can answer, yes, they can, but they may not do it. Right. Yeah. And these are the challenges. So can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think it's actually a conversation that can be had before there's even the option of picking up dry cleaning. It, the, the conversation can be, tell me, what, what does later, when you say you'll call me later or... Um, Let's see. Let's think of some other ones that, that people use. I'll um, take out the trash later. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll do that tomorrow. Other than the word later, there are other terms that people who speak in a more general way readily use. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, 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 I'll call you. I'll text you. I'll see you soon. Soon is a good one. Mm -hmm. Soon for a literal person can cause a tremendous amount of, of anxiety. Mm -hmm. What does soon mean to you and, and to me? Mm -hmm. So to understand uh, as a neurodiverse couple, if one of you is indeed literal or more literal than the other, can you a, a kind of attack that uh, before or now that you are recognizing it, 
before the next time uh, you're asked to go pick up the dry cleaning. And so having a conversation with your partner in advance and saying to them, you know, when you say that you're going to do something later, I take that literally. I think that you mean later today. Mm -hmm. I want to know what that means to you. Mm. What may also happen here that's important to for neurodiverse couples, neurodiverse people uh, to keep in mind in a relationship is that their partner may have the intention of, of doing it later, picking it up later that day. Mm-hmm. But, si- but since the, the word doesn't mean as much to them, mm-hmm. it's not for them as big a deal if it doesn't happen. Mm. So important. So important. So, you know, what I heard you say is intention matters. Yes. Right? Yes. And I think oftentimes this happened in my marriage. My ex had every intention of uh-huh. doing exactly what he said he would do that I had maybe asked him to do. Mm-hmm. And he never meant to intentionally hurt me, diss me, disrespect me, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just, we had different meanings for the words that Mm -hmm. I was expressing. And we also had different intentions, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember him saying to me, Dr. Suzanne, well, I did it. It happened. So why are you so upset? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, after understanding we were a neurodiverse couple, I understood that I was so upset because the vision I had in my head mm-hmm. of what would occur, mm-hmm. that he would, you know, go to the grocery store and pick up five things later. And that meant that he would come home with them, you know, after work and he mm-hmm. didn't come home with all five or he didn't come home with any, mm-hmm. um, it got me furious. Oftentimes it would, it would be, you know, very emotional and I would scream and I would yell and I would cry. Mm -hmm. And looking back, I think about all the time I wasted and all the unintentional hurt and pain I caused because of that disconnect between us. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations ahead of time around how you each define those things is really important, right? Being clear Mm -hmm. And not having subtext is really important, clear and concise. So intention matters. Intention matters, yeah. And understanding that your partner may have the best of intentions and trusting that even if they don't come home with the five things that they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. It's not because they're intentionally trying to let you down. It's because their brains work differently. Right. Both of our brains work differently. So, so one of the things that you talked about was softening your perspective Mm 
Mm-hmm. And the difference between compromise and sacrifice. Yeah. So I think though that verbiage is, I think, really, really helpful to keep in mind. So let's talk first about softening your perspective when you know your partner's well-intentioned and not out to hurt you. Yeah. Well, that ties in. This is why it's such a, a important thing to either listen to this podcast with your partner mm-hmm. or uh, on your own time in your own space have a conversation with them where you explain that the way that you've come to understand yourself is that you're literal and that that means that your word or the word of other is something that you're taking to heart and something that you're believing, something that you're trusting, that the word, the words matter. Mm-hmm. Your partner, for example, if, if they're not autistic, they're not on the spectrum, or um, even if they are and they just sort of grew up differently, they may have come from a family where language didn't hold as much meaning. Mm-hmm. So consequently, they learned to say the right things and even maybe feel the right things, but not necessarily act on them right Mm. away. So important. So there's so much about not only uh, your neurological makeup, but what you learned growing up uh, and what was modeled for you and what you've learned about yourself in terms of, what your word means to you and what the word of other means to you. And a good way to do that is to gauge how often you're disappointed by others, Mm -hmm. by friends, for example, by your partner. That I find often uh, in in autistic people is, is, is disappointment in friendships. Because somehow their friend did not live up to um, what they kind of promised they would. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a friendship or a relationship, the first thing to keep in mind is that that this is not intentional. Mm -hmm. That it's two very different ways of understanding language, understanding action, understanding yourself, understanding other and understanding the world. Mm. Yes. Yes. I I couldn't agree more. And I think what people often um, say is that they feel like they're having to do all the work, you know, whether it's the autistic partner or the non-autistic neurotypical mm-hmm. partner, one or both feel like mm-hmm. they're having to do all the work, they're having to change. And I think it's it's probably really important for folks to hear that shifting from the perspective of I'm sacrificing, I'm doing it all to mm-hmm. we're both going to need to increase our understanding of ourselves and each other in the world so that we can both 
compromise, that it's, yeah. it's not an either or, it's a both. When you begin to trust or, or work on trusting that even if your partner isn't picking up all five things uh, after work, that it wasn't their intention to hurt you. It's just that their brain is less organized, for example, mm-hmm. or they're more forgetful or they're preoccupied. That in order to find ways to, as, as you pointed out, you spent a lot of time that you feel like you wasted um, in retrospect that you wish you had sort of understood in the moment better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and here may be a, a good example of working on, if, as long as you're working on recognizing that the reason that those five things weren't brought home was not intentional, it was not to hurt you, it was not to screw you over, it was not to disorganize you or trigger you. It was genuinely a different way of thinking and and being in the world Mm -hmm. by your partner. That's you beginning to compromise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's literally shifting your perspective because, Mm -hmm. and, and I will tell you, I could not shift my perspective. It's very hard. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I would try it and then something else would happen and it just made me believe the stories that I had in my head. And, you know, of course, when we don't know better, we, we can't necessarily do better, but when we do know better, we can, we can change our perspective. So changing your perspective to really, really believe that your partner is not doing what they're doing intentionally, unless they are, I mean, there are probably you know, partners out there that are doing it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, yeah. We're not talking about them. That's a different podcast. Right. Exactly. So this is, this is where the hurt occurs repeatedly. And it's like, you know, cuts um, by uh, a thousand paper cuts, you know, Mm -hmm. the people even talk about the complex post-traumatic stress syndrome, you know, that they may experience in relationship with somebody when they don't understand each other's neurotypes. So what I'd love to shift to is how not moving in the direction of understanding that your partner is well-intentioned, their brain is wired differently than yours, they're not out to hurt you, but it hurts, Dr. Suzanne. It hurts so deeply. How, How do you help clients and couples understand that they can heal from that hurt, move on from that hurt? Are there any strategies or tools or ideas that you can share? Well, Mona, first, uh, you you said something that I, I would like to soften a little bit, actually. Sure, sure. And that was you talked about making the shift, uh, the shift in perspective to uh, recognize that your partner uh, thinks differently than you, conducts themselves differently, et cetera. It, it's, it's not a place that you can actually, it's not something you can achieve. It's something mm. you perpetually work on. Love that. You are always work. No one is going to get to the end 
of the line of whatever <laughs> it means. It is working on trusting that your partner's intentions are not to derail you, are not to frustrate you, are not to anger you. Working on believing or recognizing that in that you want them to understand that you are more literal so that they can be more careful in how they communicate with you because that's actually a pretty easy thing to understand mm. um, for a partner uh, who's not autistic mm -hmm. and even for one who is. Mm -hmm. That it's, first of all, it's, it's always a work in progress. And that in its own right is a challenge. Yeah. To be able to know that that's inevitable. There's no black and white. And, and that is very hard for people who think in a black and white way that there, that in relationships, there's no, that, 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 that's impossible. Recognizing in your partner, uh, how different they may think from you mm -hmm. is a process that you can become aware of and you work on. Mm -hmm. You're not graded for it. I <laughs> applaud you for it, but you're going to feel better because you are contributing to creating more positive communication patterns with your partner. Yes. I love that. I love that and and I know there's another thing and we'll talk a little bit more about strategies there's another thing that repeatedly comes out in conversation with neurodiverse couples or a partner in a neurodiverse relationship and that is that one partner may be more blunt mm -hmm. and concise so mm -hmm. we're talking about literal versus general oh yeah and and I want to add the blunt and concise and I can't tell you how many autistic partners will say that's just the way I communicate yes and and their partner takes offense and I did it you know I was guilty of it two hands raised and when we understand that it's the words that we need to listen to and not necessarily the tone, if that may be the way our partner communicates, and they yes. may not even be aware of how blunt yes. and, you know, maybe cold the tone is. Yes. It's not meant to hurt us. Again, this is, this is really, this is really, really important. Yes. Yes. So yes. I love that you're, that you're focusing on how important it is for folks to realize and remember that they were all they will always be a work in progress yes there is no end goal right. but i i think what we're doing is we're changing neural pathways That's we're right. literally changing the way we think about ourselves in conversation with our partner we are and how we think on. about our partner yes we are working on that yeah <laughs> yes yes so, i i hear where you're going um, there are a couple of concepts here that are strategies here awesome. that I hear that you're bringing up. One uh, is uh, compromise and sacrifice, which we can expand on a little more. And the other is emphasis, expressing oneself with emphasis versus 
with anger. Mm. So let's unpack both. Let's yes. start with the compromise versus exactly. sacrifice. Yes. yes. Well, the compromise and sacrifice one is, is overarching. Um, anytime that you're attempting to understand your partner in a way that is more um, forgiving or trusting, then that's you. Uh, by compromise, we mean giving, instead of seeing, if, if you see picking up the dry cleaning as, ugh, I can't believe I have to do this. It's the end of a long day. This really stinks. This really annoys me. Why is my partner making me do this? Why can't they do this? Mm-hmm. That's you looking at it as a sacrifice. That is something that your partner is doing that is taking away from the relationship. Mm-hmm. Versus, this is something that my partner has asked me to do. It's important to them. So I'm going to maybe not love doing it, but I'm going to understand that it's going to contribute to a more harmonious relationship. And that is the goal here. Yes. So the more that you can trust in and believe in and and do things that, and, and see things that you have to do or need to do as not out for your partner, as not out of your way, but rather as a contribution to enhancing the relationship, that's you making a compromise and that's you enriching the relationship. I love that. It's so beautiful. And, and I know it's hard for a lot of couples, Dr. Suzanne, when they, when they realize they've been high conflict couples for years, right? Yes. Yes. They didn't understand they were a mixed neurotype or neurodiverse couple. They didn't understand why their brains were so different, why they processed everything so differently. And you, you mentioned one thing several times during our conversation and that's the trust piece, right? Mm -hmm. So when the trust seems to have evaporated because of the constant conflict, Mm -hmm. are there ways in which you help couples understand or build trust again? Well, yeah, the key one is the distinction of literal and general. Okay. Okay. I, I, I can't think of a more effective tool than when couples have that eureka moment of understanding those things about each other, which might be obvious to somebody from the outside, but certainly aren't obvious within the couple. Yeah. I, I want to give an example of this to the listeners. Sure. And yeah. I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but one of the things that was really important to me in my marriage was that my ex-husband would respond to texts and calls mm-hmm. and he did not value that the way I did. He didn't understand mm-hmm. my communication, my literal communication that I needed him to respond or to communicate with me during the day. 
And now I know that if I had said to him, can you please set an alarm on your phone Mm -hmm. for three o'clock and then another one for 3.15, another one for 3.30 so that I hear from you in the afternoon Mm -hmm. just so that we can check in. I think that would have been doable, okay? Mm -hmm. But because... I wasn't clear enough and concise enough about what I needed and wanted. And, mm-hmm. and, and he, I know he was really trying. I know that, but I, I don't think we gave each other or we trusted each other enough mm-hmm. and we gave each other enough um, leeway that we compromised enough. And I think at times he thought he was having to sacrifice his day and his flow and his work process to respond to a text or a call. And I think this is going to hit home for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So having that conversation could have been very helpful. And instead I began to not trust him, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and, and that wasn't healthy at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, resentment builds. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, you're also, uh, making a great, uh, segue into emphasis and anger. Yeah. So go ahead. So, so far our couples have a, a few concepts, uh, or, uh, for conflict resolution that they can begin to, um, work with. And that is, uh, that is the good old, um, literal versus general mm-hmm. and that is compromise versus sacrifice and that is working on trusting that even if your partner functions differently or does things differently it's not because they're rebelling against you right so but what can happen when you feel like your partner is rebelling against you is that uh, what what you what I just heard in you in in wanting or looking for your husband to respond to you that there was a a sense of urgency about that for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So urgency when you're conveying that to somebody, it's not anger, but you may still in trying to explain to them why you want that, why you require that, that urgency can sound intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can sound emph- emphatic. Mm-hmm. Your voice may be raised. There may be tears in your eyes. You may be standing, uh, holding your fists at your side saying, please understand me. Mm-hmm. And there may even be a sternness about you, but it's not anger. And, and this is a hugely important distinction to make. Okay. When your partner is speaking to you or, or you for, to them from a place of emphasis versus a place of anger, it is very easy to confuse emphasis for anger very easy yeah and and i i want to like explore this a little bit because 
I know in those moments I was angry, but I also wanted to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I kind of am equating the emphasis piece to the wanting to be heard. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, by wanting to be heard and emphasizing what I needed, it sounded like anger. Yes. Okay. There are certainly times when the two are interlocked um, and uh, are interwoven. And I think it would be we it would be way too much to ask anybody to try to parse out what's happening um, in those situations because it is both. Mm -hmm. uh, and when a neurodiverse person is overstimulated, things may sort of shoot out, um, temperatures may rise, and it could feel like anger. It could become anger. Right. Right. And we all know, right? I mean, you know this from your almost 30 years um, as a therapist, as a clinical psychologist, when we're angry, when our system is dysregulated, our nervous system is dysregulated, we say things that we don't necessarily mean. We do things that we don't mean to do that hurt our partners. Uh -huh. It is it is a not healthy cycle to repeatedly get into. We also express and, ourselves in ways that uh, alienate our partner. Yes. So here's where your experience with high conflict couples kind of can be so enlightening to folks mm -hmm. when this has been going on for years and years and years, mm -hmm. you know, to shift the pattern, you know, you talked about, you know, the understanding compromise versus sacrifice, the trust piece, uh, understanding if you're literal mm -hmm. or more general or your partner it's is really the foundation of it all. Yeah. And I can see that. And so for those folks that have been hurt repeatedly, you know, um, the repeated cuts, the emotional cuts, and usually it's both partners mm -hmm. that feel that way. They don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. They don't feel validated. Is there a shift that they literally could start making, you know, after listening to this podcast, um, you know, is there something visual that they can put, you know, on the wall? Uh -huh. Is there a code word? Is yeah. there something? Yes, go ahead. Is. In the case of angry versus emphatic, it's actually okay to ask your partner, are you speaking to me right now from a place of anger or just from a place of urgency slash emphaticness? That is not a hurtful question. Mm -mm. It's a clarifying question. And that yeah. shows that you genuinely want to understand. You wanna you want to know what the what that tone means so that you can really take in what if whether it's anger or emphasis, there's an urgency to it. Mm -hmm. Anger, of course, if it's anger. Um, couples may then decide that, um, it's better to take a few minutes apart before, if, if possible, it's easy to get sucked in and uh, get into a sort of 
tit for tat angry battle. Right. Um, but part of, of compromise and, and trust is if you're, if you ask your partner, if they're speaking to you with anger or emphasis, and it turns out that it's anger that in the, it, this is very hard to do in the moment. And that's why we say it's something we work towards, Mm -hmm. not something that we officially achieve. Right. (laughs) Um, okay, you're angry. That's making me angry, upset, overstimulated. Let's take five minutes and then come back so that I can try to hear you. But oftentimes, the person who's literal is disappointed by the person who's not literal. Mm. And when the person who speaks more generally has upset the literal person, they then defend themselves with a sense of urgency. Mm. We want to believe it's urgency before we see it as anger because we want to believe that they are they didn't do it intentionally. Right. They're your they're your partner and that has to mean something. That's why you're in a relationship with them. So you really want to try to keep at the core, at the foundation, no matter what you've been through up to this point even, that you're in this because at the end of the day, literally and generally, you love this person and you want this relationship to work and you believe that they want that too. Mm. I think that is probably for those folks that can really work on this, life-changing. Because I know that at times I really questioned whether um, the conflicts that we were getting into in our in our marriage were number one ever going to be resolved, but whether I was doing more work or more I was attempting you know more to resolve it. Yeah. But, but what I now know is we were just in many ways speaking different languages. Yes, yes, yes. And we never created a common language so that, I mean, conflict, like you say, conflict is always going to happen in relationships. It's about how you get through the conflict, yeah, how right? How you clarify conflict. Yeah. Really. yeah. And so what does that look like? when you do a good job of clarifying during conflict or after conflict? Well, first of all, you've determined that your partner is speaking with emphasis and Mm. where you are. Maybe that's the first place you start is by saying right now I'm speaking to you from a place of, of urgency, of emphasis, of excitement, of intensity. It looks like anger. It's not anger. Mm. It looks like it. They look very similar at times. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've said over and over again is that I took just about everything that my ex did 
that um, seemed like anger or seemed like he was upset personally. Mm -hmm. And every time he didn't call me later or he Uh didn't, you know, go to the grocery store and pick up the five things, I took it personally. Uh I've, I've been working on that since, and I will continue to work on that in every relationship I'm in, whether it's friendship, work relationships, or an intimate relationship, but it's a tough one. And I think it's a tough one for both partners, right? Oh, no. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to speak to anything that folks might benefit from knowing regarding the taking it personally? Um, I think that again, comes back to trying to sort of get a sense of how general the other person is. Mm. Because just because they speak generally doesn't mean they're intentionally rejecting or disappointing or hurting you. It means that words uh, or promises even mean something different to them, unfortunately, because we want promises to be kept uh, during the time frame in which we're promised they're going be kept. But more often than not, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. And if we want to vilify everyone who disappoints us for not getting things right at the right time, it's going to be really hard to hold on to any friendships or any relationships. Right. So um, to be able to, to work on giving the benefit of the doubt that the other person, if they've said, uh, I'll text you later, or I'll call you later, or I, I even, I promise, although arguably you don't want someone to promise and then not keep it. Maybe that person isn't meant to be your friend then. Right. But um, that it's also okay to say um, when to tell that person, when you say later, just know that I think you mean later tonight. Mm-hmm. is that what you mean if mm. it's not that's okay I just need to know that yeah I love that it's it's straightforward it's simple it's kind it's compassionate and I know it's really hard to do that in the moment when you're feeling hurt and you're dysregulated because gosh I you know I, I that happened so many times in my marriage but I think it's it's helpful to practice it is. You know? it's, a, it's a relief. Yeah. And it really, um, yes, there, I, uh, there is an inc- intense amount of, of emotional short circuiting that can feel like it's happening in a neurodiverse couple, but there's also a lot of relief in understanding yourself better in terms of your own communication style and your partner. That really at the, at the core brings relief. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, I hear this over and over again. I didn't mean to hurt her, them, him. I I never meant to hurt my partner. I hear that from both partners. I heard that over and over again from my ex-husband. I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to mislead you. I never meant to intentionally do anything that would make you feel, you know, unhappy, sad, emotional, whatever, but it happens. 
And so the things that you've talked about with me today, I think are going to be really helpful for folks to think about, not in the moment of the crisis, not in the moment of the high conflict situation that keeps occurring over and over again, but before, you know, and and maybe having that conversation ahead of time, you know, we're going to get into conflict. These are the things that I kind of want to put on the table that we consider. So is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that you think would be helpful for them to understand or to practice as they try to stop Mm -hmm. being or or reduce, never going to stop, but move from a high conflict couple to a couple that has conflict, but can manage it and repair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, the, the core principles here are to really, when you just said um, your partner would say, I never meant to hurt you, to work on believing that that's true. Mm-hmm. Even if you got hurt, it was not their intention. Mm-hmm. Their brains work differently. We can we can see it oftentimes lost in the moment. Uh, your partner maybe it may be difficult to get him to leave a party because mm-hmm. he says yes, I'm ready to go, and then starts talking to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're ready to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that's that they're just general can also mean more whimsical. Mm. Um, that to really try hard to put a positive spin on their intentions as opposed to being suspicious or ready to be disappointed. Yeah. And to really hammer out the literal versus general and now I'm going to add whimsical mm, to that. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh because that really 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 helps two people um get along better, figure e- each other out better, um manage each other and the, and each other's urgencies and anxieties better. Mhm. When a, when a whimsical slash general person understands that you're literal, they're going to be more careful or try to be more careful. If anything, I think for any couple, no matter what their level of neurodivergency is, that you don't, nobody's ever going to succeed at whatever goal you is, is set for them. That, that's just not possible. You, but what you're looking for is if they're trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and trying, thank you so much for that, Dr. Suzanne. And trying, this is the one thing I realize because pretty much every man that I've dated is neurodivergent. Um, many of them are autistic since the divorce. Um, and one of the things that I have realized over the years is the way in which my partner may be trying is very different mm-hmm. oftentimes than the way I would try. Mm-hmm. And giving them grace mm-hmm. is so important. 
because the trying that I might want might be them verbalizing. Okay, from now on, when you text me, I will respond within two hours. Mm -hmm. But I haven't clearly explained that that's what I want. I want them to respond with words. But instead, I get the text, you know, Mm -hmm. within an hour of, I get a response text within an hour. So I'm looking for words and they're responding and showing me that they're doing the work with actions. Mm -hmm. Right. They are trying. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And they deserve grace for that. Yes. Yes. And appreciation. We both do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So this has been, I hope, you know, a life-changing conversation for some folks, but definitely I know there's going to be light bulbs that are going off for a lot of the partners that are listening. And I hope if they're listening by themselves, that they will invite their partner to listen to this podcast, Mm -hmm. because I think it's a really important one for both partners in a couple relationship to hear. So I would love for you to share, Dr. Suzanne, how do people find you and reach out to you if they are interested in working with you, if you do have, you know, openings in the future? Oh, let's see. Um, Well, my Facebook is gone because it was hacked. So, (laughs) but that's not, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I have a, thankfully still a professional page on Facebook that's intact. Uh, So people can certainly contact me through there. Uh, LinkedIn is a good way. Instagram works. And uh, I also have a website, drsuzannell.com. Wonderful. So any information about me, uh, and if you Google me, um, you can pretty easily find ways to get in touch with me. Wonderful. My, and I'll put all that in the show good. notes. Yeah. The, the spell is my last name. Yes, definitely. Yes. Yes. So it's Suzanne. Is it Lockman? Is that how you say Lockman? It? Yeah. 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 So I will put all that in the show notes for everybody. And I can't thank you enough for uh-huh. sharing what you've learned in your almost 30 year career mm-hmm. and how you've helped high conflict couples and others who've dealt with a lot of conflicts that have created challenges in their relationship. This is such important information. And I know there are lots of folks that end relationships because they can't resolve the ongoing conflict. So you've made it easy. I know it's not simple to implement, but there are some core principles that you've shared today that I know are going to be helpful to a lot of folks. So thank you for sharing your expertise. Absolutely and your time, and for all the great work you're doing out there in the world. I really appreciate you joining me today. Oh, thank you for the great work you're doing out there, Mona.